0: We would like to thank you for listening to the Calvary Church podcast. Join us as we embark on a new series on worship titled, Bless the Lord. David, who would one day be king of Israel, penned these words in Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. These words should inspire us to dive deeper into the scriptures to discover what would cause men like David to live an expressive lifestyle of worship. We all worship. The question is, will we bless the Lord? We believe God will move powerfully as you apply these principles of worship to your everyday life. If you would like more information on the ongoing ministry of Calvary Church, Please visit our website at InvernessCalvary.com. We're in a series called Bless the Lord. And if you want to uh, turn to a couple of passages, you can turn to Psalm chapter 34. And today, we're also going to be looking uh, at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. That's going to be the main passage that we're going to be looking at. But this whole series is based upon Psalm chapter 34 and verse 1. And this this passage has been the springboard for this series of messages called Bless the Lord. And it says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now one of the goals of this series is that we would actually have this, this memorized uh, down deep in our soul, and that we would live this for the rest of our lives. So let's say it together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, now what we're learning in this series, Bless the Lord, is that our corporate worship gathering, when we gather as a church, can lead to a personal encounter with God. Have you ever had a personal encounter with God in a room full of people? Raise your hand if you ever had a personal encounter with God in worship. How many of you had one right here in this building in times of worship? How many of you had one just a few minutes ago? Amen. Amen. I did too. Um, th- that's what we need to understand. Our corporate worship times can lead to a personal encounter with God. But but what, what does it mean, you know, that, you, that, that we can have a personal encounter with God? I mean, we all really want to have an encounter with a God who's good. We do. But how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we actually have an encounter with God on an ongoing basis? Well, Psalm 34 verse 1 tells us that it needs to be three things. It needs to be committed. That's, I will bless the Lord. That it's a, cho- a, a choice. I will bless the Lord. And then it needs to be continual. That it's not based on circumstance. That it's not, I only praise God or I'm only worshiping when things are are going well. No, it needs to be, I will bless the Lord at all times times. It's continual. And then also this one, it needs to be a little bit contagious. Verse 3 in Psalm 34 says, oh come magnify the Lord with me. There ought to be something drawing in of your worship with God. Your friends need to be trying to figure out how you're worshiping God. Your family ought to be trying to figure it out. You know, you just, some of you just had those awkward conversations over the Thanksgiving tables. You know, like the you know, you get together because you feel like you have to. Oh, man, I, I'm saying things that aren't supposed to be said. You, you're like, oh, man, I I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I, I, it's in moments like that when our worship of God needs to be contagious, where there needs to be something to the way that we live for God and worship God, that, that somebody says, what, what is that all about? Why do you do that? Why, why do you worship that way? Matter of fact, in this, in this context, we need to answer this question. Well, what is worship? Well, worship is simply a response to who God is and what he's done. That's a very simple uh, definition of worship. It's a response to who God is and what he's done. And, and I, I want to I say this uh, to those who have been in church for, for, for many years. The Lord whispered a statement to me uh, in prayer that I think will help some of my more seasoned saints and this is what the Spirit of God said to me. He says, The limitless nature of God invites us to a lifetime journey of discovery through worship. That God is so limitless that he, there is more to discover. There is more to be seen. That is why angels around the throne who have been there for countless millennia can only come up with one word. And there's a fresh revelation of the same word every time. Holy, 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 holy. And they mean it every time. They mean it every time. Why? Because there's a there's something limitless in the nature of God that ought to that ought to spur us into a journey of discovery through worship. Well, today I want to I want to share with you a message uh, called "Expressions of Worship." Expressions of worship. And if this sermon had a subtitle, it would be called uh, "The Languages of Worship." The languages of worship. Um, there was, a, there was a book that was written in 1990 by a man named Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. Yeah. So many of you have probably read it, and we're going to talk about it because the Lord spoke something to me in here about the five love languages as it pertains to worship. And I said, I said God, if this is true, then you have to show it to me in your word. All in the same place. And he did. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So, and by the way, for all of you prophetic people. So, I wake up this morning, launch my Bible app. And anybody want to know what the, where the verse of the day is found? 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Yeah, I'm like, whew. As if we needed another confirmation to shout that God is good. All right, here we go. I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to talk about this revelation that I believe God is going to take us a little bit deeper into this lifestyle of worship. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, says this, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord had filled the house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep so that the king and all of his people dedicated the house of God. And the priest attended to their services, and the Levites also with instruments of of the music of the Lord, which King David uh, had made to praise the Lord, saying, for his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded trumpets opposite them while all Israel Stood. This is one of the uh, most amazing moments of corporate worship found in the Bible. All of Israel has gathered. And this is a terrific culmination of something that started in the heart of King David. King David had, had it in his heart, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, about how he wanted to bring the presence of God to Jerusalem. And, and he, he began to bring it back, had some... Had some uh, a stumbling moment and and got a little bit offended and then and then realized that the blessing of God was with the presence of God so if he wanted the blessing of God he needed the presence of God in his hometown so he 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 brought it to Jerusalem and there he's worshiping and basically the presence of God the Ark of God was resting in a tent and David got in it in his heart I want to give God a permanent place where where worship can be expressed. He said, I got it in my heart, God. I want to build you a permanent house. And God said, that's absolutely amazing, but you're not going to do it. Your son's going to do it. He says, amen. Well, I'm going to get some things ready for him. And he did. And uh, you begin to understand that the temple is the main location for the expression of worship In the Bible for Israel. It's the main location for the expression of worship. And let me me just put it another way. The temple was the place where Israel expressed their love for God. This is where Israel said, God, we love you. And as every person knows in here, love has got to be expressed. It's natural to become expressed. Which leads us to that book called The Five Love Languages. Now, at first, when I heard the Lord uh, speak to me about these five love languages, I'm like, Lord... Are are you saying you have love languages? Because technically God, have you ever talked to God like you're trying to instruct him? As if God needs to be theologically sound. And I'm like, God, um, you do know that you are the language. Because the scripture says God is love. So you, you are the language. So how, how is it that you have love language? He said, I didn't say I had love language. I said, you have love languages. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's how we receive love. He says, it's not only how you receive love, it's how you give love. It's how you give love. And if worship is an expression of love, then there are some common ways that we need to be expressing our worship to God. And it's actually found in the five love languages. And here's what I believe the Spirit of God is wanting all of us to do. To grow in our ability to speak and express our love for God. Now, let's. we're going to dive into these five love languages, and I believe God is going to give you some fresh revelation and something to chew on when it comes to these expressions, these languages of worship. The first one is this. The first... Uh, expression of worship is this, quality time. Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This seems, uh, at, at, at first glance, it, it, it seems as if this actually happened rather quickly. But this actually was the culmination of years of service that led to this one moment. Where, where Solomon had been going after what was in his father's heart. To make this place of worship. And now Solomon is spending time with the Lord in prayer. Let me just make this basic statement to you. Prayer is quality time with God. Prayer is quality time with God. And I know that this is an area where we need to learn how to express a a greater affection for the Lord in quality time with Him. Now, most of you think of prayer. You're like, well, you know, I gave God my list, and then after five minutes, I was done. Well, that's a very small portion of prayer. It's not only the supplications, those those things that we need, that we bring to God in prayer. Uh, You know, I would say a lot of the time that I spend in prayer is actually spent listening. Listening to hear the voice of the Lord speak. You take the word with you to the place of prayer. You ever want to feel God's hot breath on your face? Open God's word in his presence and he will speak to you. You spend quality time with the Lord. Solomon spent years of his life in preparation for this moment of worship. He spent years, and I love this. I love what it says. It says, when Solomon had finished praying, the fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Here's the revelation. When you spend quality time with God in prayer, the fire necessary for true service of God will come, and the fellowship of God's presence will manifest in your life. How do I know that? Because in the New Testament, it says, uh, yeah, we had a temple in Jerusalem. But in the New Testament, you are the temple of God. You're the temple of God. And when fire comes, fire always comes for service because it was coming on the altar. That means there would be no sacrifice unless God put the fire there. There would be no ministry of sacrifice. No service is going on without the fire. Any of you Bible scholars remember there were some, uh, uh, a couple of brothers who introduced something called strange fire in the Old Testament and they were judged immediately and they died. What is strange fire? Men trying to do ministry in their own strength. They, they produced a fire themselves and tried to show that it was God. The fire on the altar in the Old Testament was given from fire from heaven. And it was meant to stay burning eternally by what men put on that altar. And here in this moment of dedication, here's what they say. He's saying, God, I'm spending time with you. The fire comes down. We need the fire of God to serve the Lord. We need the fire of God in our lives. And you you say, I don't really feel the fire. Well, check your watch. How much time have you been spending with the Lord? You say, well, it's, 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 it's not just about the fire for service. It's about the glory that comes in the priests. It says they couldn't even stand, they couldn't even go in and minister because the glory of the Lord was so strong. Have you ever been in the presence of God that's been disabling? Like the only thing you can do is just be in fellowship with Him? That is the glory of the Lord. And I promise you, church, as we begin to grow in our worship of God through quality time, It it will produce two things. Fire and glory. The fire uh, that is necessary to serve the Lord. That's what Jesus came to do. He says, I I have come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That is what he comes to do. To give you a baptism of fire. Like on the day of Pentecost. Which makes you ready for his service. And and then it's the glory of God. It's the manifest presence of God. It's this awesome awareness that this, this God of the universe has now come near where did Solomon where did he get this heart that he would spend years of his life in preparation for this one moment this quality moment in the presence of God he got it from his father David notice what he said in Psalm 63 verse 1 he says oh God you're my God early will I seek you and every teenager groaned yeah I don't like that verse. I skip over it, then we'll go into the next psalm. Listen, listen. He says, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. There was something in the heart of David that says, God, I want you so much. I, I, I want you. I am getting up out of bed. I have got to spend time with you. I am longing for you. Like my body craves water, I'm longing for you. And listen, once you begin to spend time with God, I promise you, there's something in you that just says, oh, God I I want to be back in your presence notice what Psalm 55 says David says evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice why did he say evening morning and at noon because for a Jew evening was the beginning of the next day So that was the very first thing he did. He said, God, I'm going to spend time with you in the beginning of a new day. I'm going to spend time with you in the morning. And I'm going to spend time with you. And that is quality time. And God gave that heart to Solomon as well. And not only was it in David, but it was also in Jesus. And Jesus, at a a moment of tremendous increase in his ministry, Mark chapter 1 from the Gospel of Mark says this in verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. He was spending quality time with the Father. Now, you could say it this way. You say, yeah, but he was, he was Jesus. <clears throat> At which, To which I would respond, if Jesus needed to spend quality time with the Father. How much more do I need to spend time with the Father? He's sinless, I am sinful. We need to spend time with the Lord. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Many of you understand how uh, difficult it is to, to get into, uh to see a specialist. Maybe you've ever had to see some kind of, of doctor that was a specialist and you had to make an appointment three months out. And you're waiting. You're like, three months, really? And, and you know, they, they, they usually put a little... Something out there that says, hey, and by the way, if we have a cancellation, we'll call you. So we're like sitting by the phone. And it never rings. And so what we do around that appointment is we actually cancel everything else. Everything else. Why? Because we have an appointment. And it's very important that we keep that appointment. And if our best friend shows up and wants to go do our favorite hobby during that appointment, we're like, no, I have an appointment. We as the church need to schedule an appointment with heaven daily and keep it. We need to make an appointment with heaven. Make an appointment. And keep it. Just because something else comes up doesn't mean you have to break it. you just tell people, "I'm sorry I have an appointment." They may, you may say, they may say, "Are you sick?" You're like, "No, nope, I actually feel great." Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I have an appointment. I have to keep it. By the way, I, I don't even want you to tell them what your appointment is. Just live in a way. That demonstrates the fire and the glory of God on your life. Amen. From quality time with the Lord. It's quality time. The next is this. it's uh, The next way of expressing worship is through meaningful touch. Now this was the one I was like, Lord, I see the other ones. But this one, I don't get it. And so the Lord then showed me this, this passage. And he says, he says, when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord was on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement. How do we meaningfully touch God? It's found in one word. Humility. Humility when they got a revelation of how awesome God was, they had one response. To get on their knees and on their face and bow to the ground in humility. And humility moves God it touches God's heart listen to what James chapter 4 verse says and in 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 verse 6 and verse 10 it says but he gives more grace therefore he said God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble verse 10 says humble yourselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up Listen, do you want to meaningfully touch God? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Don't make God humble you. Humble yourself. And just say, God, I see how awesome you are. And I'm going to be so humble that the fear of man gets absolutely crushed. Most of the time when we're in a corporate gathering and we're being compelled to, to, to worship the Lord, the spirit that comes against people is this spirit called the opinion of man. And we're like, man, what are people going to think of me if I lift my hands? If. I express my love toward God if I respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to me and doing in my life. What if, here's what Here's what absolutely disables that, humility. And not only does it disable that spirit to, from being able to control you, it actually moves God. He says, I'm going to give more grace to that one. You want more grace in your life? Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself. Humility and worship touches the heart of God to release grace. And we all need grace. The third way of, of, uh, of expressing worship that's connected to these love languages is this words of affirmation. By the way, uh, for those of you who are married, you should take really good notes. Because while this is not a message on marriage, you could certainly apply these principles to your marriage and your marriage will flourish. The fire will come back. You say, well, why are you, why are you talking about these, these expressions of worship being love languages? Because I want to see the fire come back in your relationship with God. I want to see it kindled in your heart again. I want to give you permission to love God in every possible way. One of the ways is through words of affirmation. It says, when all the children of Israel saw the fire came down and the glory came down in the temple, they bowed their faces uh, to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now I have this question. Before they said it, was God good? Before they said it, was his mercy still enduring? But they said it. They said it. Because love is always naturally expressed. We've all learned this in relationship, especially men. And now, if you find someone whose love language is words of affirmation, they'll let you know. They'll let you know that that's their love language. They'll say things like, "How do I look?" <laughs> A lot of men, this is not your love language. You're like uh, coming out of the house, and your wife's like, "Did you try? <laughs> did you <do? laughs> put any effort into that?" <laughs> but you know, we're like, uh, "So, uh, what, what? What? What did you think?" Oh, oh, you look, you, you look great. Well, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, I just thought, you know, I didn't have to tell you anything was wrong, so I thought you knew that everything was right. So when words of affirmation are not our love language, we come into church and this is what we do in worship. Old timers keep change in their pocket. They'll start jingling change. <laughs> I see you working. I see you working. You're just like, oh, well, I mean, everything's good. Why do I have to say anything? And really, those questions manifest like this. This is, how they, this, is, this is really how they manifest. And really, honestly, people ask real questions. And um, we try to actually answer their questions while they're walking in the door. Anybody recognize that our mission statement is actually on our wall as you're walking in? And it says this about Calvary. It says, together, we extravagantly love Jesus. And so when anyone comes in the door... We want them to find a company of people who is extravagantly expressing their love for God. Because of who He is and because what He has done through sending His Son to pay the price for sin on our life. The price we could not pay. So we worship extravagantly. So people ask questions all the time. They're like, why... Do we sing so much? Why do we sing so much? Okay, maybe maybe they ask it this way, why do we sing? Some people kind of they're like, Well, I'm gonna skip the singing, I'm just gonna come for the word. I'm just gonna let you know. The worship is actually what God comes for. When the Word starts to be released, the Holy Spirit then starts working with the Word. He's not taking any notes. He needs no greater revelation of the Lord. Okay? He is the Lord. He's actually moving right now, giving you fresh revelation of Jesus and giving you fresh fresh revelation of worship right now. He's moving right now. But the worship is what He shows up for. So why do we sing? Here's why. Let me give you a few reasons. Psalm 17, uh, 7 verse 17 says, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. It's a word of affirmation in song. Psalm 13 verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 27 verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy In his tabernacle, I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Listen to the determination there. He's saying, I will sing. Yes, I will sing. Singing is an expression of love to God. And if you can't sing, well... Our expression of love to the whole congregation is that we do not amplify your sound. We're not going to put you on the worship team, okay? That's why we want you to sing. It's in a, we want you to affirm your love to the Lord. We don't want you to be a distraction to other people. This is not, you know, American Idol. You're not trying out for the show from, the, from your seat. Okay, that's not what's happening. And actually, the, the scripture tells us that we should play skillfully before the Lord, and I believe that your vocal cords are an instrument. And there are some people that play them very well, and most of them are on a microphone. So um, I, I, just, I don't want to deter you from your singing, but I just want you to understand that, that, that every single one of us, regardless of talent level, can sing to the Lord. Our former pastor used to say, he used to say, man, I sing to the Lord and it sounds like a dying cat. I'm like, come on, man, keep singing. Keep singing. How about, you know, we get all kinds of questions about why, why we extravagantly love. How about this one? Why is it loud at times? Why is it loud? You know, shouldn't it just be quiet? There should be times of silence and solitude. By the way, good news for all the people who like quiet. There's 30 minutes of silence in heaven for you. According to the book of Revelation. 30 minutes in eternity. There's 30 minutes. That's it. After that, it's full blast. It's going to sound... It's going to sound a lot like Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Listen, I'm, I am all for, I am all for moments of, 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 of where we're, we're, we're silent before the Lord and where He's speaking to us. But never a shout. Never a moment where we lift our voice and say, praise God. Hallelujah! Where we we really just say, God, I just need to be loud about what you've done in my life. How about this one? I hear this one often about our words of affirmation. Why are there so many new songs? Two reasons. First reason, if you only come to church once a month, We've been singing it a lot. (laughs) Just want to let you know. Uh, So, that we probably have been worshiping to some of these for some time. But the second reason that we sing a new song is because the scripture tells us to. Psalms tells us, he says, sing a new song to the Lord. Why would we sing a new song? Because God is always doing something new that demands a fresh expression of thanksgiving. Now, uh, I come out of the 90s where there was a move of God in our city revival hit Lakeland. I am so grateful for all of those songs that we were singing. I'm telling you, we saw, I saw revival in stores, revival in street, revival everywhere. It was absolutely stunning. I am grateful for those songs that we were singing, but we don't sing them as often. Why? Because God's doing a new thing. And, and I, I refuse to, reli, uh, to be living in a revival of yesterday and miss one that God is pouring out today. God is doing something new. And sometimes when God does something new, He releases a new sound with it. That's why there are new songs coming forth. And Pastor Luke and his team are writing new songs. We express our love to God in words of affirmation. The fourth fourth way that we express worship to God is through gifts. And if you have a person that's in your life with this love language of gifts, you know it. You absolutely know it. There are no questions about people whose love language is gifts. Now, my, my wife does not have this love language, and I'm thankful. <laughs> However, my oldest daughter who this child—her love language is gifts. I, I'll just tell you a recent story. Yesterday, we, we were driving back from 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 uh, Mississippi, and we, we sent her back to Alabama, back to her school of ministry, noticed that she needed an oil change. So we gave her money for an oil change. It's money for an oil change. We get a text message back that says, thank you so much for loving me well. I'm like, that makes you want to give them more money, <laughs> okay? It's just like, oh, I'm gonna keep giving, you know. But people who respond to that love language, man, it it just says it just says, wow, you love me by giving me gifts. I I, I want to show you something in in the Word. It says, then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls, 120,000 sheep. I don't know if you understand this, but you know, this thing went on for a week. A constant offering given to God for a week it was an extravagant expression of love, the giving of a gift to the Lord. And it was there that the temp, where the temple would be built. David actually purchased the piece of ground when actually trying to stop a plague. There was, there was, there was judgment that God was releasing. And, and David recognized, he says, he says, Gad comes and speaks to him and says, hey, listen, you need to build an altar and make a sacrifice to the Lord, and um, and you need to do it on this threshing floor. He goes to the owner of the threshing floor and says, hey, I, I want to buy your threshing floor and uh, oxen, and I want to buy everything so I can worship the Lord right here. And the owner just said, king, you can have it all. It's all yours for free. You can have the land. You can have the oxen. He says, take the yoke that went around them and use that for the wood. Now, for us, we would be like, Hallelujah. Man, I've been blessed. God put something in my heart, and I really, man, He gave me everything for it. But look how David responds. In in 2 Samuel 24, 24 and 25, it says, Then the king, David, said to Arunah, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings so that the Lord heeded the prayers. For the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. Here's what you need to know. Expressing worship to God that costs you something says, Wealth will never lord over me. Expressing worship that, that costs you something. now listen, listen, if this really bugs you, that it's because gifts is not your love language. And you're like, what are you bringing up money again? (laughs) This isn't about money. This is about expressing worship. This is actually about us getting a revelation that God is moved when we give something that costs us something. You know what we're saying, God? You're more valuable than this wealth. You're more valuable than this silver. You're more valuable than these bulls or these sheep, which took years to accumulate. It's giving God an extravagant gift. And my question today is, is have you ever given extravagantly in that way that you knew that it cost you something? Last week we heard a message from Pastor Carl Carl, all about Mary who gave that alabaster box. And remember, remember the question that came. Why this waste? For that could have been sold for a year's wage. And I promise you, I promise you that voice still comes to believers today. And says, why would you waste Your money by giving it into the kingdom or sowing it where God says to sow it or giving extravagantly some, some gift. I promise you that voice will always come, but you need to hear the voice of Jesus saying, this wasn't waste. This was worship. And she did this for me. And Jesus, while hanging on the cross, could still smell the fragrance of Mary's worship. I'm telling you, there's a gift that fills heaven with the aroma of worship. And I believe the church is called to grow in this area. That's why we give during worship. The last one is called Acts of Service. Acts of service. I love this. In this passage, it, it finishes the passage with saying, and the priest attended to their services and the Levites also with their instruments of music uh, of the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, saying his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priest sounded trumpets opposite them while all Israel stood. This is a, a love language of saying, you know, this, it is worship when you walk in your calling. Priests were doing what priests were called to do. Levites were playing and singing and all of Israel is in this moment bowing down and saying for he is good and the Lord his mercy endures forever. Uh, there there's a there's trumpet blast going on but every person is walking in their calling of God. Now, if your love language, the way that you receive love is acts of service, which, by the way, that is my, my wife's love language. If I came home with a bouquet of roses, listen, I come home with a bouquet of roses, she's going to be like, you know they're going to die. But if I go get a mop, Woo. I'll tell you what. Come on. Come on. She's like, I see you. I see you. Come on. All these women are going, acts service. Acts service. service. <laughs> oh. They're like, oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Show me. See, walking in your calling is an act of worship. When, you act, when you're living in service to God, it's an expression of worship. Romans 12 really sums this idea up more than uh, any, any other passage. And I, I think you'll love this. Because it connects worship with our calling Like no other passage. It says, starting in verse 1, Romans 12, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That is also translated reasonable act of worship. So, this is your reasonable, you present your body. That means you got to put it to use. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, listen, you get your, he goes, offer yourself wholly in dedication to God and then transform the way you think to think the way that God thinks and everybody is going to be convinced that this is the will of God. For, I say, through the grace given to me, "...to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think." There's the humility. "...but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith." "'For as we have many members in one body, "'but all of the members do not have the same function, "'so we, being many, are one body in Christ "'and individually members of one another. "'Having then gifts differing "'according to the grace that is given to us, "'let us use them. "'If prophecy, let us prophesy "'in proportion to our faith.'" Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He's saying this. He says, give your whole life in dedication of God and whatever your calling is walk in that calling and that is your reasonable act of worship now if your love language is acts of service this is how you sound in the church why are we in here you know praying so much we need to be out there we need to be on the mission field come on let's do shorter service let's go immediately come on we need to go preach the gospel let's get in the streets I'm all for that. But don't forget, quality time sends the fire and the glory that makes the service possible. Here's what I'm finding. We all want to give love how we receive love. And we want to even give our worship in the way that we receive love. And here's, here's, what I, here's, here's what I want you to take away today. We need to grow in all five of these. We need to grow in how we spend quality time with the Lord so that the fire and the glory of God shows up in our life. We need to grow in humility so God pours grace on everything that we do. We need to grow in our words of affirmation. Man, I'm going to sing, and I'm going to do my best to keep it on tune. (laughs) And I'm going to give. I'm going to give gifts. Even when it doesn't make sense, when God says, bless that waitress, my bill is $5 and my tip is 50. And uh, Calvary, do not go out to eat unless you plan on tipping 20%. 20%. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, tell them you go somewhere else. Amen. That's a good word, Pastor. That was totally free. Totally free. All of you 8%ers. All right. Amen. What do I want us to take away? I want us to say, God, I want to I wanna live in service of you. I want to express my love and acts of service by walking in my calling. Why? Because Jesus said these words. He says, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And how did he come to serve? He came to give his life as a ransom, a payment for our sins, that all of us who would believe and place faith in him would be forgiven and made forever sons and daughters of God. And then we too could live in service of God, worshiping him with the rest of our lives, determined to bless the Lord. I want you to bow your heads today.